0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in
1: your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
2: hello and welcome to SporkBox. here are your headlines today crude plunges amid reports u.s president joe biden will announce the largest ever release from u.s emergency oil supplies potentially tapping strategic reserves for the third time in six months. Russian President Vladimir Putin is reportedly being misled by military advisers, afraid to tell him the full truth about battlefield realities, as the Ukrainian leader vows to continue the fight.
0: We don't believe anyone or any flowery words. There is a real situation on the battlefield and it's now critically important. We won't give up anything, and we will fight for every metre of our land, for every citizen.
2: The world's second largest economy takes a double hit as both manufacturing and service sector activity contract in China for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic. And U.S. markets look set to close out Q1 with the worst quarterly performance since the start of 2020, despite strong gains in the month of March. Good morning. Well, we start out the show with a renewed focus on the commodities complex, in particular oil, given moves afoot by the US to potentially release more reserves. What we've got on the Brent price uh, rally over the course of the month and the quarter. On the day, there, on the trading day, we have reversed today. And you can see that uh, on the chart uh, to the right. Uh, Brent crude tracking down uh, morning session, as you can see. Uh, what we've got uh, pulled back of 4.8% currently. Over the course of the year and the quarter, we're up 38%. So very strong moves over the course of the first three months of the year. Uh, Brent uh, prices for the month up 10%. And what a month it has been as we've seen this uh, trade really respond to the situation around Ukraine, the invasion by the Russians and that has put the the focus back on OPEC plus back on supplies and just how much Russian import there will be into the global oil market. So it is something we're watching very closely but worth noting morning session that both Brent and WCI are both on the back foot and the White House is reportedly considering releasing up to 180 million barrels of oil from the country's emergency oil reserves in an attempt to lower the prices. According to Reuters, the move would happen over a period of several months and would be the largest ever draw from the strategic petroleum reserves in its 50-year history. Let's get out to Dan for more. Dan, this comes as OPEC Plus is expected to stick to their strategy. How much pressure could this put on the cartel?
0: Hi, Karen. Well, this could add some significant pressure to OPEC Plus producers, which have been acting unilaterally here, defying calls from the United States to add more barrels of oil to this tight market. As you say, this is quite significant news, Karen, because this could be the largest ever release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Right now, we need more clarity on the exact amount of volumes, the exact duration, and of course, ultimately what this is going to mean for the market. But analysts that I've been speaking to today, including Ed Bell at Emirates NBD, say this could have a sizable impact on the market. We've already seen oil prices falling on the news. So right now you can see Brent and WTI both down around 5%. And also this suggestion that we could add 180 uh, million barrels of oil to the market over the course of several months has really uh, helped to uh, pull prices down just over the past hour or so. Enbell uh, at Emirates, NBD, telling me this could actually also add to a bullish case for oil. And that's because this market continues to be tight. And of course, we have uh, such a limited supply right now. Listening to part of what he had to say reacting to this news only uh, a short time ago. I think markets are still going to be very much squarely focused on supply going forward and the lack of it that we're going to be seeing from Russia, um, the incremental additions we're seeing from OPEC+, and so far the real lack of price response from U.S. producers to high prices. For the longer term, though, I do think this is a bit of a risky strategy for the U.S. to draw draw down on its SBR so heavily if you think that we're going to be going into the more heavy use uh, summer months in the United States. You're going to be drawing down your inventory just as you're going to be needing them in a time of uncertain supply conditions. And then going forward, if we do face a oil market that is more or less structurally um, in a deficit for a prolonged period, drawing down on those reserves as well could help underpin a bullish case for oil prices over, say, a 12 to 24-month period. And of course, we have seen oil soaring to almost 140 US dollars a barrel this month. So we are seeing the administration in the United States responding in the only way they really can, which is to jawbone the price down and attempt to add more supply to the market. President Biden, of course, facing multiple challenges at home, including soaring gas prices and inflation. So coming into the midterms, he, of course, needs to act. When it comes to previous SPR releases, though, we have seen the United States tapping this three times now over the past six months, and prior releases have had a limited impact on the market. What makes this one different, though, is the reported amount that could be added and the lack of timing here, that is no set end date on the duration, which means we could continue to see more oil coming back. The timing of this is also very unique because it comes on the same day, this US announcement on the same day that OPEC plus producers are preparing to meet to discuss their own output plans. And of course, the current thinking is that OPEC is going to stick to the script that is adding 400,000 barrels per day to this market as of next month. And as I said before, these OPEC producers have really been pushing back on US and Western allies' calls to pump more crude. We've been speaking to two policymakers this week at the Atlantic Council Global Energy Forum. And the messaging to us from those OPEC producers is that they are not a political organization. While they have to, of course, include Russia's viewpoint in that conversation about overall supply. They're not going to be guided by the geopolitics here. They're not going to be guided by the politics. They are instead going to be focusing in on the supply-demand dynamic. At this point, they see no need to add any or any more oil to the market. Of course, it would seem, Karen, that the US totally disagrees.
2: It is always a thorny issue to tap these SPRs and uh, whether you use that as a cushion for higher prices, Dan. But what happens down the track if we do see nations, not just the United States, tapping these reserves? Presumably there's a stockpiling element down the track, a restocking element. Does that keep the price more elevated for longer?
0: Well, that's the argument that Ed Bell made with us this morning. And as we continue to see the uh, tightness in the market remain, because we have this Russian risk premier in the market, and of course, no ability globally because of a lack of spare capacity to actually replace those lost Russian barrels, the argument is that if we saw SPR drawdowns from the United States and other allies, it could add to a bull case for the market, because we would see traders focusing in on that lack of supplies so it's a really interesting dynamic in the market right now the other thing to look out for is what the structure of this spr release might actually look like so are we going to see an exchange taking place here as has been done in the past or are we going to see outright oil sales from the united states that of course remains to be seen as well we're going to get more clarity on these issues when president biden speaks on this issue tonight the focus in that address is going to be on attempting to tame inflation but of course gas prices also have a direct translation to what's happening in the oil market so that's likely to form part of the conversation as well what he says will be very closely watched by the market which is indeed moving on the headlines right now karen and as i mentioned that russia risk premium still very much in play right now this helping to uh, pull prices back, but where it goes from here, uh, anyone's guess at this point, we'll have to wait and see what Biden says later on tonight.
2: Dan, thank you very much. Uh, Closely watched by the markets, no doubt, given the R word has been the buzzword. Recession, a lot of concerns that high inflation and bad inflation uh, met with a response by central banks that could be fairly swift and a much sharper rise in interest rates than initially forecast could trigger that hard landing. That's been one of the big concerns for markets this week. So any change in the narrative around what we're seeing on the oil market and second on effects, this could be fairly instrumental for markets, so something we're watching. If you look at what the markets did yesterday, you could see it was a pullback day, modestly south for the Dow, two in the red, six pulled off the S&P 500 and more off the high-flying NASDAQ, which is where we've seen some of the stronger gains in recent sessions. It saw a fall of 1.2% in session, so now where we stand, if you look at how much room we had recovered around the Dow, we're roughly about 4.5% off the all-time highs. For the NASDAQ, we were out of correction territory a day earlier, but you could see just slipping with this red ink back into correction territory, more than 10% off the 52-week highs. In terms of the Treasury markets, uh, this has been the real pain trade for a lot of investors where we've seen this very swift escalation of the yield, also the flattening of the curve, and in some cases inversion between the 5 and the long-dated. But currently, as we look at it this morning, you can see, again, three basis points, the difference between the 2 and the 10s so we're at 23 on that two year and 2.34 on the 10 year and let me take you to the dollar And this is the early picture on the uh, foreign exchange market. Sterling just drifting off a little bit versus the greenback. Euro supported with the 111.60 mark. Dollar yen again a stronger trade as the dollar marches higher versus that safe haven currency. Uh, About a third of a percent in the green. Dollar also firmer versus the Chinese currency. Let me take you to Asia. We are closely watching the data out of China today and contraction that's been flagged up in some of the survey data. China falling by about a tenth of a percent. So just a subtle slide there but we've got uh, bigger drop elsewhere where particularly on hong kong and that's a fall of 200 plus points or almost one percent modest drop for the two markets of uh, tokyo and sydney we're traveling two tenths down on the asx the opening calls here in Europe, this is how we're setting up for the trade. We are chasing green arrows on the last trading day of the month. And what a month it has been here in Europe. We will run you through some of those numbers later on. But effectively, over the course of the month, we're up about 1.5% on the stock share 600. We saw yesterday, just again, a little bit more slippage. But we are chasing some positivity early on this morning right across these core markets. U.S. futures, let's see how instrumental that U.S. picture is. You can see green just coming through early on on some of these trades we're chasing uh, some modest upside on the S&P 29 on the Dow 67 on the Nasdaq at this stage so the window dressing day that is month-end suggests we might see just a slight uptick now ahead on the show global leaders work to gauge peace prospects as warnings come that Putin is being misinformed by advisers and for more on the outlook for oil as President Biden reportedly prepares to tap US crude reserves once again you can check out this Squawk Box podcast It may have felt like a wild ride since the start of this year. And indeed, that's what has played out on market. So you may recall we had the Santa Claus rally. But soon after that, market starting to reverse very aggressively over the course of January. Then again in February before another volatile month of March. What it means now over the quarter, we've seen about 3% stripped off the Dow. So still negative for 2022. Although for the month, we've put in a little bit of a bright trading pattern thanks to the last couple of weeks. Let's get to the S&P by comparison because you know it's been a real trade-off between some of those big cap areas of the market as well as some of those big technology names that were battered and the S&P does take a look of course at those big tech names. So the quarter down 3.4% for the month an outsized bounce 5.2% and the Nasdaq by comparison if you take a look at the tech sector you can see a bigger pullback for the quarter so we were weathering a lot of deep red ink at the start of the year in this sector as investors were stewing about the potential for the stagflation scenario that tech stocks would be hit by the high, higher interest rate scenario and you can see a pullback there but now as we're starting to see more talk about a recession investors are saying well perhaps we need to put some more recession proof stocks like technology back in the portfolio which has given this 5% pop in the uh, Nasdaq. Take a look at the Apple trade over the course of that same time frame you can see for the quarter trading positive in contrast to that broader index so a little bit more resilient than the broader markets and again you can see for the month of March it has been a very strong performer 7 0.6% higher. And let's get to Ben Amans, who is managing director of global macro strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. First up, I might just get you to comment on the momentum we've witnessed in March and whether you think that tells us anything about the direction for the rest of 2022.
1: Good morning, and thank you for having us. Uh, it's hard to say exactly, but as you somewhat outline, two so themes going on. So we have well, starting started with the war in Ukraine, I actually noticed that then the, the index, stock index was very much driven by materials and by fertilizer and by steel and zinc and, and nickel, uh, everything that's really uh, fired up by the Ukraine, the price shock, if you will, like commodity shock that's, that's taking place. But then the defensive team came back. So one is indeed the technology, maybe because of a view that eventually if this war is going to affect global economy negatively, and we're hitting you know, at least a major slowdown, then growth companies like technology should outperform. There's also other sectors like utilities, for example, uh, that have done actually fairly well. Again, the d- defensive underlying theme. So a good stock market rally in March, a good recovery, but a defensive tone.
2: Ben, the market commentary has been dominated by inflation just how bad it's going to get, whether we're looking at stagflation or recession, as you highlight there around the positioning. But if we can just bring in Ukraine, because it's been in the headlines for a number of weeks now, mainly from a humanitarian and also security perspective. But as you look at the data now, this is sort of the rubber hits the meets the road type of moment where we're now seeing it in some sort of a price shock here in Europe. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, it is, a, uh, it is a significant shock. You know, the, the data that's come out just now, German and, and uh, Spanish CPI yesterday, and you're seeing today, you will have Italy and France CPI. It is actually an incredible change of, of, of data. You know, the CPI number is now jumping by 3% on the month. I think that's an extreme uh, change, but that shows the extent of what actually occurs in, in late February into early March if we're going to not only have a a war which shut off a lot of the, let's say, um, commodity exports out of Ukraine, it's also the sanctions are playing a major role by taking off the barrels of, of Russian oil out of the market that all combined, affected the, uh, the energy market significantly, and that's now coming through. So it's, in a, it's in a real major change. And it makes you wonder, like, not only that the Eurozone economy is much more at risk than for, for near-term recession, maybe US economy is, but also in terms of the, the European Central Bank and the Bank of England, we often say the Fed's behind the curve, but we have the other central banks maybe even being more behind the curve, you know, having to take more action quicker, which again, would slow down the economy as a result.
2: But I want to get into how central bankers do treat this type of inflation, because on the one hand, you could argue that it's one off, that if there's a a ceasefire or a peace agreement around the corner, that you might might see some of this inflation pressure subside. On the other hand, you could argue there is actually no concrete evidence that there will be any point at which we do agree an outcome here. So you have to treat it as an ongoing issue. How do you think about uh, the the rationale here for central bankers?
1: Yeah, we say they're actually boxed in, right? They they have to look at this conflict as a serious economic issue, because as much as the ceasefire is underway, the shock has already happened. So you're going to deal with an aftermath of high inflation, and at the same time, you cannot over-tighten either, or you would bring immediately recession into the scenario such that you may end up with really a, a stagflation scenario, ultimately. I think this is the real difficult uh, trade-off for central banks. What you're seeing is sort of the, what they try in the middle of the road, lots of signaling through communication that allow markets to price in a faster rate hike c- scenario, so to speak, but, that's, but not execute on that by itself. Because if you do, you cause unemployment in, in a contraction economy much faster and, and inflation not necessarily coming down. I think this is sort of describes the the tax inflationary dilemma that central banks face today.
2: If we take a look at the powerhouse uh, that is Germany as a, just a litmus test for Europe, for instance, uh, we know policymakers look for the, the escalation and factory gate prices. We've certainly witnessed that in Germany. They look for this to be passed on to consumers. And uh, obviously the German consumer, slightly different one here, not always willing to, to play ball and willing to spend. But the next round, of course, is if there is that pressure at the shops that a lot of workers go back to the employers and say, I want a, a pay rise here. When it comes to Germany, I know that you're looking at the upcoming wage negotiations. But this also coincides with a, a very uncertain outlook around energy supply and whether we're going to see rationing. So can you just talk about the very difficult situation here around the growth outlook for Germany?
1: Germany may be at risk most for a what they call wage price spiral for some of the reasons that you outlined. You know, you have these wage negotiations every year in the spring. Uh, it's going to lead to more demands of wages because we're already dealing with energy shock as it is. And People want to compensate for that, but you're also dealing with that we don't have much energy. So you, what you're seeing, for example, is disruptions in the production process slowly coming through in Germany, but also in some other parts of Europe. And that combined with still lingering effects from the pandemic that at times you know affect the economy too, meaning slowdown of the economy because people have to stay home. And I think all combined is that people continue to look at there's a lots of jobs, there's a tight job market partly caused by the pandemic, but then we're dealing with energy shock. So I think it is a wage price spiral risk that Germany in particular is currently facing something that we all talk about a lot, but it's actually happening in real time there.
2: So Ben, as we piece these elements together, where does Europe as uh, positioning options stand versus the United States? Because we have seen uh, fairly decent bounces even in recent days around the the German and in particular the French stock market uh, in contrast to what we're seeing in other markets. Would you play these particular names over the course of the next couple of months?
1: Well, there's certainly validity to that and to do that on the one hand because Europe is still an economy that has US continuously recovering from the major shutdown from, from 2020, that I think is still there. But then we're dealing with this as we were talking about, this, the challenges uh, in, immediately head on affecting the, the Eurozone economy in terms of high inflation and, and you know, slower growth and a central bank that must step in action now to tighten plus wage negotiations may lead to this, some of the effect of wage price spiral. So. There is something about it. if the conflict does ease, hopefully, then it it will lead to a bounce in these European equities, but it may give you some reason to caution and say that is maybe an opportunity to rotate and look at areas, United States or Asia, where these effects are less uh, available at this, as a sort of a relative global tactical play, given the situation in Europe. This isn't to say that in the future, Europe is not an opportunity, but... At this moment, it seems a pretty difficult economic situation that eventually going to affect companies' profitability.
2: So keep a fairly dynamic strategy there, Ben. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Ben Eymans with us, Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Vladimir Putin is reportedly being misled by his advisors who are too afraid to tell him how badly Russia's offensive in Ukraine is going. A U.S. official provided NBC News with declassified intelligence documents that claim that there is also persistent tension between the president and key ministers. Russia has continued to strike the outskirts of Kiev, despite promising to drastically reduce military operations there to help boost mutual trust in peace talks. Speaking in China overnight, Russian Foreign Minister Sergey Lavrov told reporters that peace talks in Istanbul were progressing well.
0: We deem the results of the talks that took place yesterday in Istanbul as a positive advance forward.
1: This isn't the end result yet, but
0: the fact that Ukrainian negotiators acknowledged the necessity for a non nuclear, non bloc status for Ukraine. They acknowledged the necessity to guarantee their security outside the framework of NATO. I consider that to be substantial progress.
2: Meantime, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky says the country is preparing for a renewed assault in the east as he casts doubt on Russia's comments to the peace talks.
1: Russia is amassing forces for new attacks in the Donbas, And we are
0: getting ready for this. We don't believe anyone or any flowery words. There is a real situation on the battlefield, and it's now critically important we won't give up anything and we will fight for every meter of our land for every citizen
2: a further news crossing at this hour this from the uk military intelligence which says heavy fighting continues in Mariupol. however ukrainian forces remain in control of the center of the city The uh, UK military intelligence also saying heavy fighting will likely take place in the suburbs of Kyiv in coming days. Says Russian forces continue to take or hold positions in the east and west of Kyiv despite the withdrawal of a limited number. Um, this is a uh, Russian statements indicate they're cutting their military activity around Chernihiv. Uh, this uh, shelling missile strikes continued and uh, this uh, update uh, coming through now as to what is happening on the ground in Ukraine and a little bit in contrast to the uh, messaging we just heard from Russia. President Joe Biden spoke with his Ukraine counterpart for an hour last night. The US promised to provide Ukraine with an additional $500 million in direct budgetary aid. Germany and Austria have, uh, are getting ready to trigger emergency plans to ration gas as their dispute with Russia continues over payments. Vladimir Putin has mandated that, quote, unfriendly countries pay for gas deliveries in rubles, but hinted at a compromise in a phone call with his German and Italian counterparts yesterday. Under his proposal, European customers could continue to pay their bills in euros as long as payments are made via Gazprom Bank, which would then make the conversion into rubles. German officials said Chancellor Olaf Scholz did not agree to the scheme, but requested more information on how exactly that would work.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more
1: market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.